You know, it often happens for me when I enter the story of uh, a political action thriller that I enjoy reading and suddenly without warning I'm fully engaged in this character's world as he's trying to fight whatever evil is out there um, that's going to cause devastation in a major city. Maybe it's a chemical agent that's going to get released in the ventilation system and he has this problem that he has to solve and he has a limited time window to solve it and he has to defeat the villain and save the city and I find myself lost in the moment of all of it. Sometimes it's not necessarily a good book. Sometimes it's not necessarily a good book, but it could be a movie or my, the latest episode of The Green Arrow as he's trying to f- the, find out what Hive's recent attempt is to destroy Central City. But what is it for you that engages you in such a way that you get lost in the moment? Maybe if you're an artist, it's a stroke of a brush creating something that gets you lost in the moment. Maybe if you're someone who works with your hands and you create something, whether it's with a, a needle and cloth or maybe it's with wood and, and you are able to build something and you just find yourself lost in the moment. Maybe it's a conversation with some good friends in, in which they refresh your soul and they add depth and meaning to your life and, and time moves, moves on and when it comes to an end, you're like, when are we going to do this again? And you find yourself just lost in the moment. Time passing by. The clock was ignored, and engagement captured every ounce of your being. We've been in this series that you've heard mentioned this morning entitled Catching Your Breath, in which we've talked about what does it look like for us to put life on pause, to stop, and look at God's design for us in this spiritual practice called Sabbath. And we're not talking about a legalistic set of rules that require uh, boredom and dread, but a life-giving experience that allows our body and minds to be refreshed and renewed in the way that God has designed for that to take place. For many of us, you know, we might have known of this when we were younger, when the blue laws were in place, which limited when business could be, business could be transacted, transacted or when we had opportunities to spend money. But somehow, since the blue laws have gone by the wayside, we assume Sabbath has gone by the wayside as well. But life hasn't slowed down, has it? No, it doesn't. Life is still moving fast. And so God calls us to learn the rhythm that He created in creation, a rhythm of six days of working, six days of doing everything that we can, getting it all done, and the seventh day resting. And God said after each one of the six days, He said what? He said, it is what? Good, good. And at the end of the seventh day, after creating this day of rest, this day to put life on pause, he didn't say it was good. He said it was holy. Holy. It was a separate day. It was a set-aside day. It was a special day. And so over the last several weeks, we've started to explore the components of a day where we pause, a day in which we put life on hold. And what are the components of that? The first week, we looked at the first one, which is stop accepting the limits that God has for us. And then last week we looked at the idea of rest and what does it look like to be involved in pausing in such a way that we get a glimpse of eternity when we get to spend it with Jesus when life in this world as we know it comes to an end. And so if you weren't here with us the last couple weeks, I encourage you to go to our website and listen to those messages. But we talked about some of the things to stop and some of the things that are obvious. You know, who wouldn't want to just stop going to work or rest and not go to work? We would all love to not go to work and just have a day. And we're glad for that day and that we don't have to work seven days straight. But there's a few other things. How many of you would like to rest from worry? 
Anybody like to rest from worry? Um, how about the next one? How about resting from physical exhaustion? You know, some of you, maybe it was a little hard to get up this morning because you're weary and you're exhausted. And um, when I see the backs of your eyelids, I know that's where you are. And I do see them from up here, in case you're wondering. <laughs> um, how about multitasking? Doing more than one thing at once. How many times do we just need to pause and just do one thing at a time and focus our concentration on that? How about from to-do lists? I heard a couple of you got in trouble last week because you were writing to-do lists as I was talking about resting. You know, someone you ratted it out to the speaker last week and said, hey, that's what they were doing. But we need to pause and just rest from those things. Here's a couple of others. How about catching up on errands or competitiveness? Or maybe lastly, a rest from technology. A rest from technology. What would it look like to regularly set aside time where you set the phones aside, you set the computer aside, you set the internet aside, and you just took a break from all of it. We all need those things. And we began this series by talking about Sabbath not being something forced upon us, but a gift that is offered to us. Sabbath is not something forced upon you, but it's a gift offered to you. And so as we talk about and move into this arena of delight, I want you to think about this is something that God says that I long for you to know, I long for you to experience. You know, one of the challenges that we're faced with is we live in a culture, as we talked last week, that's oriented around productivity. What have you done for me lately? But the things that we delight in, the things that we enjoy, the things that bring rest and rejuvenation to our soul are not things that we produce. There are things like painting a beautiful piece of art, unless, of course, you're going to sell it. Admiring a beautiful work of art. Um, enjoying a long, slow walk. Sitting and listening to the inspiring music. Savoring the great flavor of a meal and company of good friends. Um, getting lost in a good book or movie. Is there anything productive about that whole list I just gave you? There really isn't, other than they're just things that we enjoy. Things that bring us a sense of delight. And so for us, the point in this process, part of Sabbath, is to step away from the productivity that we're pushed into and just find things that we simply enjoy. Enjoy. Phyllis Major said this, After a long day, I would let go and enjoy it all. My family around me, the magic of the meal, its traditional rituals and prayers, knowing that 24 hours of freedom lay ahead. Sabbath time enveloped me. What still is fully in my heart are those memories where my everyday world vanished and I entered the world of Sabbath time. If we're honest, I think the problem is, is we have this delight deficiency. How many of you have gone to the doctor and had some blood tests and realized you had a deficiency you didn't know about? Anybody had that happen? You know, you got an iron deficiency, you got a vitamin D. Everybody's got a vitamin D deficiency in case you didn't know that. You know, everybody's got it. You know, not enough sunlight. You know, something in your food, you're not eating enough of a certain food, and so you need, need to eat more of that. But I think that we have in our culture a delight deficiency because we're so worried around work and producing that we don't pause enough simply to enjoy. Simply to enjoy. You know, one quote that someone mentioned to me last week that you may have heard growing up from your 
parents or grandparents is this quote, idle hands are what? Devil's workshops. You guys all know that, right? You guys heard that, right? And so it's not about delight. It's about do something because if you stop doing something, you're going to do what? You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. And there's no place for delight. And our culture has distorted the sense of delight by talking about things that we delight and using imagery that is often sexual or lustful. And so we can't figure out what is delight and, and what is desire and what is good and what's not good. And if I desire something, it seems like it's a bad thing, but then I really shouldn't. Can I allowed to enjoy those things? And unfortunately, too often we found ourselves um, in these practices that have just gone way away. I grew up in a, an environment, in a family, in a, in a church setting where there was all these things you weren't supposed to do because there was this fear. If you got involved in them, you were on this slippery slope to the worst possible place. Um, I got invited to a birthday party recently, and the birthday party was to go play poker. Now, I don't know how to play poker. I've never played poker before. My son's tried to teach me. It hasn't worked. But... Um, this guy said he would teach me, and so I actually had a lot of fun playing poker, you know. And um, now, I haven't been to Vegas, and I don't have any plans, you know, unless I'm going to fly out west because it's cheap to fly in and out of there. But, you know, so we have this picture in our mind that if we enjoy certain things, if we find great enjoyment in doing them, that it's going to lead us way down this path. And so that's kept us from those things as well. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about some important elements that I think are critical for us to think about in this whole idea of being lost in the moment, of finding delight in things. And the first thing is that to get lost in the moment, I think, begins with being engaged with your Creator, engaging with your Creator. If you have a Bible, if you would turn to Ecclesiastes uh, 12, Ecclesiastes 12, the page number on the screen is for the Bible in the seat in front of you. You can also follow along on your phone or tablet if you have that. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And the book of Ecclesiastes, let me tell you what the book is about. It's written by Solomon, who's the wisest guy who ever lived. And he was not only the wisest guy who ever lived, but he was also at the time he was alive the wealthiest guy who ever lived. So he had all the wisdom in the world, he had all the money in the world, and so he could do anything he wanted to do. He could buy anything he wanted to buy, he could go anywhere he wanted to go, he could have anything he wanted to have. And so he said, I tried this thing to see if that would make me feel fulfilled, and that life would have meaning and purpose. And he's like, nah, it didn't work. And then he said, I tried this thing to see if that would give me meaning and purpose. No, nah, that didn't work. And then he tried this thing. Would that give... No, that didn't work. He kept trying and he kept trying and he kept trying. Nothing gave him fulfillment. He thought it was relationships. He had more wives and prostitutes than anybody knew of at that time. He thought it was money. He had all the wealth in the world. He thought it was trips and experiences. He could do anything he wanted to do. At the end of the book... In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, he says this. He says, Remember the Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. 
before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keeper of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim. And he goes on to list a series of events that happen to people when they get to a point in life where they face struggles in life and they can't do the things they wanted to do at one time. And he said, before you get to the point where you can't experience life the way God designed you to experience in all its fullness, remember the one who made you. Remember the one who made you. And he goes down a little bit later in verse 6. He says it again. Remember him before the silver cord is severed. The golden bowl is broken. The pitcher is shattered. The wheel broken at the well. And dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. He said, before your life comes to an end, remember the God who made you. And the idea of remembering in the time of the Bible was not the idea, when we think about remembering, we think of, oh, I remember when I was a kid and I was five years old and I did this and I got in trouble. Just kind of mental reflections. But the idea of remembering the Bible was something that was very active. It's not just a mental process. It was turning your attention towards it so that you would act upon it. Not just think about it. It starts with our thoughts, but it goes beyond that. And what Solomon says is, he said, I want you to remember the God who made you. And if I were to ask you this, when you think about God, if you were to say, God is fill in the blank, what word would you put in that blank? Would you say God is loving? Would you say God is kind? God is patient. God is always with me. God never leaves me on my own. God is compassionate. God is good. What word would you put in that blank to say God is? What would you say? Likely whatever word you would put in that blank is a reflection of how God's shown up in your life in some powerful way. One truth about God that's been gripping me recently is this, this reality that God pursues me. If you read all throughout the Bible, God's always pursuing. He's always chasing after someone. Trying to invite them into a relationship with Him, the God of the creation, the God of the heavens. Why does the God of heaven invite people into relationship? Because He made us and He loves us. And I've just been gripped with this thought recently. And as I sat with this thought, I was like, why is this so important? Why is this so important? And it's so important to me because my life and my wiring, I'm always pursuing people in relationship. That's just kind of the way I'm wired, the way God's made me. But it doesn't go the other way around too often. And God just wanted me to remember, John, I'm always pursuing you. I'm always pursuing you. No matter where you go, no matter what your day looks like, no matter what your faith journey looks like, I made you. I love you. And I'm always going to pursue you. And so as you sit with that truth about God, what does that do in your heart? Where does that move you? 
Last week, we were singing a song in worship, The Great I Am. And uh, as we were singing this song, it says that the mountains shake um, and the demons tremble. It says at the mention of His name. And I was just struck with the greatness of God and the fact that this great God who creates and sustains this whole world we had alerts on our phone yesterday afternoon, and we can't figure out what in the world are we going to do with this possible tornado coming, and he's managing all of that. And he's still pursuing me. And so part of what God invites us to do, part of delight, is to remember who God is and how significant you are to him. And that's part of why celebrating Sabbath is when we invite you to come here and, and the songs that we sing and the time we look at God's Word is to remind us about who God is in your life and the significant part that He longs to play with you. The second part of getting lost in the moment, I think, is not only remembering the one who made you, but it's also exploring God's unique design in you. Exploring God's unique design in you. Genesis 1.27 says this, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. Did you know there's characteristics of God in you? In you. We know from DNA that everyone has this unique thumbprint, right? Everybody has unique DNA. No one else in the world's DNA is like yours. It's uniquely yours. Have you ever taken one of those personality tests? Maybe it's a Myers-Briggs or it's a DISC profile or something like that. You've taken one of these personality tests and you're going down the list and it says, you're, this is who you are. And you're like, yep, that's me. This is who you are. Yep, that's me. This is who you are. Yep, likes me. This is who you are. And then they get this set and you're like, no, that's not really like me. Anybody ever had that experience? Okay, a few of you are saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, rarely do they get it 100% right. Isn't that true? Because you're uniquely you. Even though you're like all the other ENFJs, you know, they're all a little different, right? They're all a little different. And that's because God has uniquely made you. Part of this journey of learning what you delight in, learning what you enjoy, is recognizing that God has uniquely made you you. And so you may like something that no one else in your family likes. You think of something that you like that no one else in your family likes? And they're all like, why do you like that? That's so crazy or ridiculous or awful or tastes terrible, you know. I don't know. I just like it. Just like it. You can say, God just made me that way, right? God just made me that way. And so part of this journey into delight for many of us, our lives have been oriented around about what we're supposed to do, do, what we're supposed to produce, and we haven't often had this freedom to just take a step back and say, what do I really enjoy? What do I really enjoy? What brings me life? What rejuvenates me? What energizes me? If you're taking notes, I want you to take your pen right now, and if you aren't taking notes, take a pen. If you've got a piece of paper, write it out. Pull out your phone. Click on the notes section, because I want everybody in the room to write down two or three things that you enjoy doing. Two or three things that you enjoy doing. Okay? 
Put it on your phone. Click on the notes section. I want everybody to write this down. What are two or three things that you enjoy? Two or three things that energize you. Two or three things that rejuvenate you. Two or three things that when you do them, you can't believe how much time goes by. Now, as you write those two or three things down, I want you to ask yourself, when was the last time I did them? When was the last time I did one of those? And if it's been longer than a week, you owe it to yourself to do some one of them today. Somehow. In some way. Because God says, I have made you to do this. I've made you to enjoy this. I've made you to delight in this. You see, that's why Sabbath is so amazing. It's not something forced upon us, not something you have to do. It's this gift that God gives to you. And He says, I want you once a week, every week, for the rest of your life to do something you love to do. It's this amazing gift He offers to us. And the last, the last point about getting lost in the moment is that it means that embracing what gives you life and life abundantly. And this is different for everybody. You know, it's hard when you start talking about the Sabbath. People come up to me and they say, well, John, am I allowed to do this or not do this? I'm like, I don't know. You decide. Well, am I allowed to do this? Everybody wants rules. Everybody wants rules. Give me the rules. I'll live in the rules, right? Everybody wants rules. And Jesus was not about rules. He's about what? Relationships. That's what Jesus was about. Relationships. You know, for some people, mowing grass is what they love to do. You know? They love to get on that mower, put their headphones on, get some music on, shut out the rest of the world. Some of you are sitting there shaking your head, right? You know? Is it okay to do that on Sabbath? If you love to do it and something that rejuvenates you, absolutely. If it's a job and it's just checking off a job on the list, don't even think about it. What about splitting wood? Splitting wood. Some of you are like, uh, don't remind me, you know. Don't remind me. But for some people, especially some guys, if you're sitting in an office all week long just using your brain, there's something about there being outside, using the body that God has given you to work up a sweat, to do something productive that gives you life. I talked to a guy in the lobby after first service. He's like, John, I love to do that. I never get to do it. He's like, now you told my wife I can do it on Sabbath. That's so wonderful, you know. You see what, this is, this is part of our understanding of what this is. When we talk about this whole idea of delight. And I think this concept of delight really grows out of who God has made us to be and what our purpose is in life and us living out that purpose. I thought to myself, I thought, what did Jesus do on the Sabbath? Did He just take His disciples over and, okay guys, we're going to camp out underneath this tree, we're just going to sit underneath this tree for the next 24 hours and then we'll go do something else, you know. 
What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We'll start there and then I'll point out a couple of other things that he did. Matthew 12. We looked at this story last week when Jesus was out with his disciples and they were walking through a field. And as they were walking through the field, they were hungry. And so they were picking some grain. And they got in this huge controversy with the religious leaders in that day. But after they got through all of that... In verse 9, it says, They went on from this place to the synagogue, and there was a man with a shriveled hand there, and looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They said, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And look what Jesus says in verse 11. He says, If any of you has a sheep and it falls in the pit, won't you take care of the sheep? He says, Isn't a person more important than a sheep? And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched out his hand. It was completely restored. Just the sound as the other. And so Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And when he healed people, he rescued them from, per, from being crippled. Um, in Luke chapter 13, verse 10, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. The woman was there who was crippled for 18 years. She was bent over, could not straighten up at all. And then the story goes on, and he called her, and she came forward, and he said, You're set free. And he put her hands on her, and she immediately straightened up. Her paralysis was gone. In John chapter 5, verse 9, look what Jesus did. At once, He healed a man who laid by the pool of Bethsaida for 38 years. He picked up his mat and walked away, and the day it happened was the Sabbath. And then in John 9, 14, now the day in which Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He did that a lot. He healed. He rescued. He set people free. And that's exactly what God's purpose for him was supposed to be. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Luke records this. This is Jesus saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. You see, that's what Jesus' purpose was. That's what he was made to do. And he did that exact thing on that day that he was designed to give them life. And so whatever it is God has designed you to do, whatever gives you life, whatever gives you joy, whatever rejuvenates you, God says, I want to give you this gift of the Sabbath and do it on this day. Now for some of you, there may be lots of questions surrounding the whole Sabbath thing, and I just want to close with talking for a moment about them. You know, one of the things that's important to do on a Sabbath is to prepare. To prepare. Um, if you say, we're going to have a Sabbath, and you don't do any preparation for it, it's not going to be very meaningful. And it's going to produce a lot of frustration. In the Jewish community, they will stop working at noon on on Friday and spend four or five hours paying the bills, running the errands, going grocery shopping, get everything they need, and then they're ready when the sun goes down for Sabbath to start. And so you've got to prepare for this. You've got to get all the other stuff done the other six days of the week. And then you've got to decide, when's it going to be? When's our time window going to be? I encourage for most of you, it's probably going to be a Sunday. Maybe it's from the time of dinner on Saturday night to dinner on Sunday night. Maybe that's your window. I don't know what your window is going to be. 
But I encourage you to start having these conversations, if you haven't, about what is our Sabbath window going to be? I've challenged you, if you're not sure how you can make it work, to maybe just start with Sunday afternoon for four or five hours. Say, this is going to be our window. And there's some things we're going to stop. We're going to set some technology and things aside. There's some things we're going to rest from. Maybe you go around your family and say, what do you love to do? What do you love to do? What do you love to do? And maybe you take turns just engaging in those different things that each individual loves. Maybe you'll find that two or three of you love to do the same thing, and everybody can engage in that. And then lastly, my challenge is commit to doing this. Commit to doing this. If you just try this once and you don't plan for it, you're going to kind of say, well, that's a nice idea for John, and it, I'm sure it worked for Tim when he didn't have to work for seven weeks, but that doesn't work for me. You know, there's no way I can do that. You know, No way I can do that. But remember, this is a gift that God is offering to you. And he says, I want you every day of the year, 52 times, to get to experience this gift. Say, well, John, if that's part of the gift, but I'm involved in serving on Sunday, how does that work? Well, one of the things we believe should be true when you serve here at CCC is it should be something you love to do. You'd love to do. We want serving others to be a want to, not a have to. You say, well, what if it's feeling like it's a have to? Well, don't just quit where you're serving. Tim and Johnny and I don't want you to do that, but we'd love to have a conversation with you because it may just be that you're in the wrong spot and we need to find a better spot where you can do something you'd love to do. Maybe you need a break. Maybe you need a season of rest. Maybe there's other things that are going on in your life that are adding to the stress of this. Maybe it's something you and your spouse or you and your kids have to have a conversation about how do we do this. Because I think serving others can be a meaningful part of that experience. And so as we close, I want you to walk away, and I hope that one of the things we remember is that Sabbath is not something forced upon you, but a gift offered to you to experience the light living as the person God has uniquely made you to be. Let's close in a word of prayer and ask God for His help to be able to do that. As we do, I just want to give you a moment to talk to God about right where you're at. Maybe for you, don't think much about delight. You just live with a lot of guilt. God says, I want you to enjoy this life that I've placed you in, doing the things that I've made you to love to do. Maybe you're not sure how, and you're just saying, God, I don't know how we're going to make this fit. If you saw our schedule, you know, I hope John hurries up so we can get out of here. we got things to do. Just tell God where you're at right now. Maybe you've been trying this. It's had some bumps in the road and had some kids upset at one another and spouse, what are we trying to do this? It can't work. But God, I, I thank you for the gift of Sabbath. 
And as we've been exploring these last couple weeks, I think we all, we all know we need to stop. We all are desperately dying for rest. The delight piece, Lord, that one's a little confusing to us. But that verse that Johnny said earlier, if we delight in You, if we remember You, You give us the things that our heart longs for or desires for. And so God, I pray that as we walk away this morning, challenged again, I know I continue to be challenged by how are we living this out? Taking some time to plan, preparing for it. Saying, how can we as a family, we as a couple in my life, how can I enter this experience of Sabbath? Thank you, God, for this incredible gift. Help us, we pray, to live and experience it. In your name, amen.